episode 133 of the shock shock Knicks podcast on the posting and toasting podcast network Sean st jacques back here with you with a little bit of Knicks and nba talk as always recording on the thursday a lot to get to this week heavy on the Knicks content as we should always be to be fair but there's a lot of Knicks stuff to talk about this week uh not as much nba uh, as i expected i guess i mean uh you know the Knicks made a big move uh during the week it actually happened a couple hours before we recorded this podcast so excited to break that down Knicks made a transaction um just about an hour or two ago we'll dive headfirst into that in a little bit but first a pretty wild week of games for the Knicks Knicks of course had a home and home with Boston and then had a couple of big games with Western Conference opponents so we start last Thursday week ago this was you know a tough one because we couldn't record uh in time to uh to react to this game last week but now's the time Knicks played four times in the last week between shows and it started off with a bang Knicks beating the Celtics at the garden first of a home and home with Boston 108 105 it didn't start well for the Knicks whatsoever uh they were outscored by 18 in the first half it was a rough showing from the Knicks to start um but they clawed it back actually i think it was 16 at the half but the knicks were were down by as many as 25 in this game it was the biggest comeback since the mid 2000s uh in knicks history knicks clawed it back outscoring the celtics by nine in the third and 10 in the fourth to win it 108 105 on a desperation banked in three at the buzzer by none other than rj barrett who we'll be talking about quite a bit this week he had only 13 points he had only made one three before the last one went down but he knocked down the one that mattered at the buzzer to win it for the knicks and cap off that 25 point comeback the star of the night overall was evan fournier he's been coming under scrutiny of late and he's been answering the critics he had 41 points a career high and he knocked down 10 of 14 three point shots eight rebounds two assists was just unconscious in the fourth quarter very similar to opening night uh when he scorched the celtics and that double overtime win for the knicks knicks and celtics have played some really good ones at the garden this season um you know knicks won a double overtime game and then they come back from 25 down to win it at the buzzer 108 to 105 a a game that i still kind of can't believe the knicks won it's not a game you normally would expect the knicks to come back and win but boston uh this season in particular when they've had a lead going into the fourth quarter they they tend to, to to let it slip frankly they've really struggled at times holding on to leads in the fourth quarter it came back to bite them in this one and the knicks pulled it out in an epic game at madison square garden randall was solid he had 22 points eight rebounds couple of steals and uh, off the bench manual quickly was really big in, in getting the comeback off the ground him and randall were big in that regard quickly had 16 points in the win and frankly for boston 
you know, obviously they ran out of steam, but besides Jason Tatum, nobody really came up with the goods. Tatum had 36 points and nine assists. He was tremendous uh, for most of the night, actually hit a two-pointer to tie it with 1.5 seconds to go. And then the Knicks obviously answered with the Barrett three over Tatum. He uh, hit a really tough three-point shot, banked it in, and the Knicks won it. I mean, Schroeder had 20 off the bench, but really didn't make much of an impact in the fourth quarter. And really, Jalen Brown was the one that, that kind of underwhelmed at times in this one. He only had 16 points and was 6 of 14 from the field. Most notably, he was 2 of 8 from downtown. You don't expect that normally from a guy of his caliber. Marcus Smart, really inefficient on his way to 14 points. And the Knicks ended up winning it 108-105. to A game I thought the Knicks really needed to have. Um... Because the way that they've been playing of late, you're not sure how they're going to do, you know, coming off a a loss when you get blown off your home floor. But the Knicks showed the heart that we've been waiting for and and has been inconsistent, I feel like, at times this season and pulled off an epic comeback to get the win. And you can't you can't uh, win a game much uh, in much grander of a style than banking in a three against your arch rivals on your home floor after coming back from 25 points down. So, huge win uh, for the Knicks. At the time, it got the Knicks to 19-20, and 20, but they'd crash back down to earth in the rematch against the Celtics in Boston. And, and really, it, it was it was one quarter. It was one quarter again that, that kind of made this a... Uh, a not, yeah, you could say it. It, it was a laugher. Uh, it really was for most of the second half. Knicks came out strong. I, I thought were were very impressive in the first quarter. Had a lead. Boston, you know, did what they had to do in the second quarter. They regained the lead going into the half, but it was still anybody's game. And then the Knicks laid a goose egg defensively in the third quarter, giving up 32 points. And that was it. Boston controlled it the rest of the way. Uh, no Nick player had over 19 points. Barrett had 19 on 21 shots. Quickly had 18, playing 37 minutes as a starter. But Julius Randle really struggled uh, shooting the basketball. He was 1 of 8 from 3. 12 uh, rebounds, 13 points. He had 6 turnovers and 6 assists. That's just not going to get it done. Biggest problem all night uh, for the Knicks. They had 6 players come off the bench for a combined six bench points, and all of them came from Quentin Grimes. Not going to be enough, not even close to getting it done. Boston walloped the Knicks in the rematch, 99-75. to So, tough one for the Knicks to take. Um, at the time, it, it brought both teams back to even pegging uh, in the Atlantic division. And, uh, and listen, Jalen Brown, who we just talked about really scuffling at MSG, bounced back. He had a triple-double, 22-11 and 11. Tatum uh, wasn't as good, but he had 19 points. And Boston, that was, you know, Boston doing, didn't do much different besides Jalen Brown having a big night. It was the Knicks offensively that scuffled in the third and the fourth quarter. That was really it. It started in the second quarter, to be fair. Knicks only scored 16 points in the quarter but they got nothing from the bench randall was really poor for most of the night 
and uh, that was that was it. That was just about that. Obviously, the Knicks were without uh, Evan Fournier in this game, who's been a, a, a Celtics killer since uh, switching out the green and white for the orange and blue. Uh, his absence was clearly notable, and having to move quickly into the starting lineup along with uh, Burks, Barrett, and Robinson and Randall uh, wasn't good enough to win this game. So again, Knicks were shorthanded. They at least got the first game. You'll take a split in a home-and-home like that, especially if you win the first game at home. So on the night, really disappointing, but you know, for for a home-and-home, you'll take a split, uh, especially against a team that's close to you in the standings. Then the Knicks needed to bounce back again, and uh, they were able to do so at the Garden. And and I, I felt like these last two this week, between podcasts were vital because the Knicks have not been good enough. I feel like at Madison Square Garden, you look at the season as a whole, and with the Spurs coming into town, they're really poor on the road this season. And in general, I believe the Spurs were nine games under 500 when they rolled into the Garden uh, between podcasts this week. And the Knicks, you know, didn't play great in the first quarter, but they were able to take control of the game in, in quarter number two. And they never relinquished that control. And we've been waiting for this as well. R.J. Barrett was an alpha dog in this game. Had 31 points, efficient from the field, efficient from the free throw line, efficient from three-point range. Was phenomenal. One of his best games of the season. Fournier, showing you some consistency, had 18 points. Burks, finally chipping in with 16. He'd been quiet the last few games. A double-double from Mitchell Robinson, and everyone forgot that Julius Randle really struggled from the field in this game. Was one of seven, only made one bucket all night, but he had 12 rebounds, had a block, three assists, because the other guys picked him up, you know, quickly had 12 off the bench. Quentin Grimes had seven. Gibson and Toppin had six apiece. That's enough for a 111-96 win over a Spurs team that should have been run out of the garden and was in the second half. So a much, you know, a much more Knicks-like performance defensively in this game. San Antonio never really got going uh, in this one. I mean, Murray had 24, I think, uh, DeJounte Murray. Uh, Lamar Walker, uh, sorry, Lamar Walker, pardon me. Lonnie Walker had 15 and that was really that. Nobody else for San Antonio really shined in this game. They had a decent production from the bench. Multiple guys had five, seven, eight, six points, but nobody that was really able to make a difference. And that was because the Knicks just defensively made sure that as a whole, the Spurs offense was going to be really having to work for everything. And, and it, you know, to be honest, scoreline doesn't really uh, tell the whole story in this one. It, it it was pretty bad at one point. Knicks were really in command in the fourth quarter. That That's what you want to see against a well below 500 team, and specifically against a team that, that's really struggling away from home this season as the San Antonio Spurs are. So that was big for the Knicks to grab that win, and they were able to turn it into a bit of a winning streak. I was, honestly, I was a little nervous going into the Dallas game because Dallas is pretty good away from home 
this season. And on top of that, you know, the, the Knicks have not always taken care of business at home. And against the Mavericks, fourth of the of the four games this week, I was really hoping that the Knicks... Because again, this was another chance for the Knicks to get to 500, where they haven't been in maybe a month or two now. It's been a while since the Knicks have been at 500. They've been below 500 for some time. But they came out with the right attitude, and they punched Dallas in the mouth in the first half, and they ended up routing them. Ended up routing them. And it was great to see. I know that, uh, you know, Luka did his thing. He had 21. I think he had 11 rebounds. I don't think he got a triple-double. What, did he have five assists, I think? Yeah, and a couple of steals. And he had five turnovers. You know, you, you want him to have a mixed bag because no KP for Dallas. And nobody else was able to pick up the slack. Brunson had 14. Hardaway had 13. You'll take that. Nobody else was in double figures. You know? Uh, Reggie Bullock, former Nick, only made one shot. Frank Nilakina only took one shot in this game. He barely played. Um, it was great to see. Theo Pinson only played one minute. Another former Nick. Um, it, it was great to see the Knicks really shut Dallas down. And Dallas was basically at full strength essentially without kp but that's that's basically with as long as luke is in there you're gonna have a tough time with dallas and the Knicks starters made sure that the job got done you know rj barrett again was phenomenal had 32 points was electrifying had a great dunk in the fourth quarter got the crowd on its feet mitchell robinson was a beast as well had 19 points 10 rebounds and a couple of blocks as well, and was key, especially in that third quarter, to kind of keeping Dallas at arm's length. And then, and then you know, Julius Randle bounced back, almost had a triple-double himself, two assists shy, and he, and he had a much better game than he did, uh, despite the Knicks winning anyway, uh, against San Antonio. And you mix that in with Quentin Grimes having nine points off the bench. Now, nobody else did great off the bench. Quickly was quiet. Nerlens Noel defensively was good in 21 minutes, but didn't give you a whole lot of scoring. And Obi Toppin's been going through a bit of a rough patch of late. Only had two points in 11 minutes off the bench. He's kind of trying to find it again. He's been in and out of the lineup all season with COVID injuries and and a mix of both. So it was great to see, uh, despite, you know, the bench other than Quentin Grimes, scuffling a little bit offensively. Again, Nerlens Noel I thought was pretty good on the defensive end of the floor, the starters who have been under fire the last couple of weeks, everybody talking about how the, you know, the the starters aren't doing enough. The game in Detroit where the starters were benched by Tom Thibodeau and were under the hot seat, you know, to be fair, I should have mentioned this earlier, got to the point where Julius Randle gave a whole thumbs down thing to the to the Nick crowd during that first Celtics game didn't love that in my opinion wasn't a huge fan of seeing that and he apologized and and gave a good statement afterwards but the last thing you want to see is is the players and the hometown fans going at each other that's not going to help anybody out it really isn't and I'm glad that Julius Randle took some responsibility for that because that was uncalled for in my opinion it reminds me 
of the Mets situation from uh, this past season where you had Javi Baez and uh, was it Francisco Lindor doing thumbs downs to the Mets fans in Queens. You picked the wrong city to do that in, my friends. New York is not the place where you want the fans to be against you and to invite that, basically. You know, it's bad enough, right? You're not playing well and the fans get on you. You know, you got to deal with that as a player. But it's it's another thing to essentially say, yeah, go ahead. Boo me. Screw you. I don't care. Not cool. Can't do it. Not an option in New York. And I'm glad that Julius Randle was able to take some responsibility. Because he's a fan favorite. He really is. Knicks fans love Julius Randle. But but he wasn't playing well. Knicks starters weren't playing well. And the Knicks fans, rightfully so, were getting on them. And the Knicks have responded. They've won three of their last four. And they're back to 500. They won at 108 to 85 over Dallas. And things are looking a lot higher now. Things are looking up for the Knicks. 21 and 21. And they're back to 500 at home as well. 11 and 11. That's as important as anything in in my estimation. Knicks have got to be above 500 at Madison Square Garden. And if they are, they'll be right where they want to be. They'll be right where they want to be in the standings. And they're tied with Boston for last place right now in the Atlantic Division. But they're right there. They've made up some ground. They've also kind of put the Hawks in their in the rear view a little bit. Hawks are now three games back of the Knicks. And they've lost seven of their last ten games, including three in a row. So the Knicks are right in that clump, you know, between um, 5th and 11th right now. Knicks are only three games back of the fifth place Philadelphia 76ers, right where they want to be. You know, you want to be on the heels of Boston, Washington, Toronto, Charlotte, and Cleveland. You know, and, and fair play. Cleveland's holding they're holding steady right now. I, I don't I don't know what the turning point might be. They're holding firm at the moment. Cleveland's uh, uh what are they, four games over five hundred away from home. That's been their key to keeping this thing going. They're sixth place right now. We'll see if they can hold on. But Knicks are, you know, reestablishing themselves in this postseason race, and it's good to see. Knicks have uh, kind of distanced themselves from the Pacers and the Hawks, and now they're trying to make up some ground. on, And they're tied with the Celtics, trying to make up some ground on the Wizards, Raptors, Hornets, and then hopefully the Cavs potentially as well. So it's good to see. By the way, Chicago continues to dominate at home they're 15 and 5 first place in the east ahead of the nets heat and the bucks so but the bulls have been a big surprise and uh they're not just uh hanging around they're at the top of the east i remember saying this early in the season it was tough to gauge where i wanted to put the bulls i put them in the playoffs but actually i put them in the play in to be fair but i didn't know where to put them i just knew you know from seeing them early on this season they were going to be tough it was going to be very difficult to deal with Chicago. And they've won eight of their last ten. They're looking as good as anybody in the Eastern Conference. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's not going to be easy to deal with them as the season goes on. Tough thing, really quick, tough thing with with Brooklyn is obviously Kyrie's back for road games. But 
it, and just to be fair, Kyrie hasn't been back for very long. Brooklyn is 11-10 at the Barclays Center this season. They're 12 games over 500. I would not have expected that to be the case, but they're 15-4 and away from home this season. And I was looking at this earlier. That's the best record in the NBA. That's the best record in the league, period, away from home. 15-4, and four, the Nets, have been phenomenal away from home. And again, Kyrie's only played a couple of games, right? One or two, something like that. Hasn't played a lot. So that's just been... That's just been the mantra for Brooklyn this year. They've been phenomenal when they've been away from home and they've been Jekyll and Hyde at home, a little up and down at times. But they're right there. They're right there on the on the heels of the Bulls and we'll see how it goes. But again, I, I was I've been I've been looking for this mark for a while to see the Knicks get back to 500 because now you, you know, you can kind of erase that that bad stretch that we saw you know, leak from November into December, and the Knicks have been able to, you know, they finished the the 2021 portion of the season relatively strong, um, except for that lost OKC, but now they've gotten it back to 500, and now if they can stay healthy, stay out of the COVID protocols, you expect the Knicks to go from here and go on a little bit of a run, make up some ground, and get back into the playoff places in the Eastern Conference, so we'll see. You know, if they're able to do that, Knicks will play the Hawks uh, in the next game on the 15th. That's Saturday. And then we'll see what happens from there. It's a big game. You know, Knicks want to keep their uh, their distance from the Hawks right now and uh, make it more difficult for Atlanta to stay in the playoff picture. Because then you've got Charlotte and Minnesota before New Orleans comes into town. That's three straight home games after Atlanta. That's a big opportunity. Actually, four with the Clippers coming in as well. So, that's a big stretch for the Knicks. After that Atlanta game, you get four straight at home. That's a big opportunity for the Knicks to make up some ground. And then you go to Cleveland, another big opportunity to gain some ground there. Then Miami on the road, Milwaukee on the road, and then two quick ones at, I should say at home, against Sacramento and Memphis. Pretty good stretch for the Knicks to make up some ground here before we really dive into the a meaty month of February where the Knicks are going to be on the road quite a bit for their normal uh you know garden like what 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 is it the academy awards i always forget um the oscars i think but whatever it is you know there's a big uh, i don't know if it's the grammys the oscars i always get them mixed up as to when they are but uh Knicks will be on the road for 5 straight in February you want to have a good amount of wins under your belt before that stretch that's what i'm trying to say i apologize been I feel like I've been rambling a little bit too much this first segment, but bottom line is Knicks are back to 500. They've gotten some good wins in doing so, and they've got some reinforcements on the way, and they've come from the Knicks' next opponents. We'll talk about that more coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Second half of the show, some news off the court involving the Knicks to get to as well this week. Before we do that, let me know how you guys think the Knicks did this week and what's going to look like for the Knicks coming up. As always, I want to hear your feedback on where the Knicks are at. But 
most of this second half of the show will be talking about a trade that the Knicks made just a couple of hours, actually about an hour before we started recording the podcast. It's you know, probably the most notable move anybody's made so far as we get closer and closer to the NBA trade deadline. Basically, I believe it was originally reported by Woj of ESPN. Um, basically, uh, the deal, it's actually a pretty pretty simple deal here. Knicks have made a trade with the Hawks. The Knicks receive Cam Reddish and Solomon Hill, along with a 2025 second-round pick via Brooklyn. And in return, the Hawks get Kevin Knox and a future first-round pick via Charlotte. So, Kevin Knox's time with the Knicks is done. He goes to Atlanta. Can't be too surprised, um, in all honesty. At some point, whether it was this season or next season, the Knicks were going to have to move him. It was just a matter of time and a matter of what the deal was going to be. It's a great move for the now, for the Knicks. Cam Reddish is a really good three-point shooter. He felt his role had diminished a little bit with Atlanta. So he was happy to move, and the Knicks were more than happy to take him and didn't really give up a whole lot for him, um, which is very nice as well. One of the other cool things about this is that R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish uh, were really uh, close teammates in college at Duke, and they get reunited with the Knicks in the NBA after being rivals in the playoffs last season. So really cool to see that reunion as well. Very, very nice um, for those two in particular, but... In all honesty, I I think this is just a really nice move uh, for the Knicks because, uh, number one, frankly, it's an upgrade over Kevin Knox, right? Kevin Knox is not playing a whole lot, and Cam Reddish is a guy that you can plug and play right now, and he'll be ready to contribute. Number two, you can never have enough shooting, right? I mean, it's the old adage in baseball, you can never have enough pitching. In basketball, it's shooting, and three-point shooting in particular Cam Reddish is a guy that can really give the Knicks a jolt in that regard. So it's exciting because the Knicks have needed to make some reinforcement moves and things of that nature. I'm glad that this was a move that the Knicks could make without giving up too much because you're not losing a big player, right? Kevin Knox was never going to be a big part of this Knicks team moving forward under Tibbs. It just wasn't going to happen. And you add a guy that's averaging just under 12 points per game. That can shoot it from three. Um, I, I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested how Coach Tibbs is going to use him. And he could be a guy that really could help bolster this team's free throw shooting and three-point shooting as well. For his career, um, I believe uh, Reddish is around a 32-33% three-point shooter um and in the regular season that's up to 38 percent so he's been you know a guy that can knock down shots and the Knicks need more of those guys so it's a nice depth move for this Knicks team he's 22 years old and the bottom line is it's an upgrade you know I I I don't mean to you know kind of hit the door let, let the door hit Kevin Knox on the way out here 
But it really, you know, was a situation where Cam Reddish wasn't happy in Atlanta. The Hawks are not playing great. They don't want anybody there that's complaining on top of that. So they get rid of him. They bring in a guy in Kevin Knox who's probably not going to play for them. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But the Knicks get a guy that can shoot, that wants a bigger role on the team, can certainly earn that, and is a guy that just can be a plug-and-play guy for, for Coach Tibbs and add to the depth that is needed at the wing position. So I, on paper, it's a good move. It's a good move for this Knicks team, and I'm curious to see how it's going to pan out as the days and weeks of this regular season move on. And we'll see if that's it. You know, we'll see what else the Knicks are uh, are plotting as we get closer to the NBA trade deadline. And that's the thing, right? I mean, you got to get some reinforcements. Knicks are back to 500. They've recovered uh, to somewhat of a degree. They have a good stretch ahead of them where they can make up some ground, build some some equity in the standings, and make up a couple of places potentially. But also, you got to think, you know, playoffs as well. And Cam Reddish is a guy that can contribute towards the end of a season and potentially in the playoffs. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he's going to do and uh, how he's going to fit onto this team. And again, Knicks did not give up a whole lot for him. So that that's really the biggest um, the biggest uh, part of it, I think. That's the biggest part. You didn't give up a lot for him, and it could be a, a really nice get for the Knicks as the season goes on. So we'll wait and see how it all goes down. But again, NBA trade deadline is 3 p.m. on February 10th, I believe. So we've got still got a little under a month to go before we, uh, we really see what happens. But for the time being, Knicks have uh, bolstered the roster. And we'll see. Hopefully we'll see Cam Reddish potentially against his former team. <laughs> it's crazy how the NBA and sports can work. You get traded and uh, all of a sudden you're facing the team you were just a part of a few days ago. So when the two teams tip it up in Atlanta on the 15th, Cam Reddish will be switching sidelines. And who knows? I don't even know if he had the chance to go to New York yet um, because they might just keep him down there. I don't know. But uh the deal is done, and uh, the Knicks have essentially traded uh, Kevin Knox and a future first-round pick via Charlotte for Solomon Hill, Cam Reddish, and a 2025 second-round pick through the Brooklyn Nets. Do you want to mention this other thing that was reported uh, from SNY's Ian Begley as well? Definitely worth um, making a note of here on the show this week as well, just because... It's kind of interesting uh, to, to see what else was going on. Apparently, the, the Hawks initially in this trade wanted Quentin Grimes, who the Knicks just took in the first round last year and apparently had to settle for Kevin Knox. And uh, apparently, some within the Knicks front office were opposed to moving Grimes, and the team ultimately decided to trade Kevin Knox instead. That's all per uh, SNY's Ian Begley. What's weird about that one is you understand maybe why they'd want Grimes over Knox because Grimes is a younger player, can be more, you know, maybe can be molded a little bit more, or at least, uh, I should say, at least younger in 
experience. He's less experienced in the NBA, whereas Kevin Knox, who came into the NBA very young, um, has been here for a while. And, you know, the the, the question is, can he adapt his game and, and continue to to be a factor? Because Kevin Knox is still just 22. He came in um, to the NBA as a pup out of Kentucky. And, you know, he's, what is this, his third year, I think, in the league. So it's one of those things where you wonder uh, how Kevin Knox will do in Atlanta. He still has plenty of time to, you know, figure out his career. But, it, you know, it obviously didn't go well with the Knicks for the most part. It's pretty clear that uh, it wasn't going to last just because at some point, you know, under Tom Thibodeau, you got to make an impression. And Kevin Knox clearly did not make enough of one. Quentin Grimes is, you know, 21 years old. He's a rookie. So it's an experience. Um, as far as the difference between these two, right? As far as, you know, Quentin Grimes is is not as experienced in the NBA as Kevin Knox is. So it was just a kind of, you know, you can kind of see why Atlanta wanted Grimes, but also why the Knicks were like, hey, hold on, we just took this dude in the draft. Kevin Knox is who you're, you know, you're looking at here. We're not, we don't want you to fish off a guy we just drafted. That's not a great look in general, by the way, to trade somebody in the middle of their first season who you just took with your first pick in the last draft. Not a great look. So you trade it, you know, you, you give it, uh, you give it to the Knicks for, for standing pat and then ends up being Kevin Knox who, who gets traded. So it makes sense just because, again, Knox has had time here under two head coaches to make an impact and he really hasn't done it. So at some point you got to pull the trigger just like the Knicks had to with Nilakina. And they were able to finally just say, you know what, enough's enough. That's it. And they got rid of him. So we'll see. I, I think it's a huge upgrade. I really do. Guys are the same age, Reddish and Knox. And Reddish is a lot further along in his career. And uh, we'll see what Reddish can do as far as making an impact on this Knicks team. As far as the Knox decision, it, it was, you know, months in the making, I'm sure. They've been probably trying to get him in a deal for a while. And uh, I remember, you know, remember we were talking about Lillard deals, potentially Beal deals You're looking at the bigger free agents and saying, well, can the Knicks possibly throw Knox in this deal? And it wasn't going to happen. So you upgrade and you get a guy that's just as young in return, you, you know, swapping picks, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a, a deal stuffer, if you will, a little extra in the stocking and, uh, and that's it. You move on. And, uh, I feel a little bit for Kevin Knox because uh, he seems like he's a good kid. I just don't know um, how much better he can be. I don't know what his ceiling really is with a Knicks team that's just not suited uh, for the way he plays. And frankly, he hasn't been good enough to play in general. So Atlanta will get a you know a shot at him. But I, I just to kind of wrap this up really quick. The bottom line of this deal is that Cam Reddish was not happy with his role. In Atlanta, that's what it kind of feels like was the driving force behind this move. And Atlanta was clearly desperate to move him on. They didn't want that kind of energy on a team that's trying to, frankly, save their season at the moment. That's really what it comes down to. Atlanta's season is in big time jeopardy. There's no question about it. And they don't want guys there that are not committed to playing uh, in their roles. And Cam Reddish wants more playing time. He wanted a bigger role on a team that's going to compete for the playoffs. 
And the Knicks could potentially provide him with that role. And that's the bottom line. Woj even tweeted that Atlanta had been canvassing the lead for a mid-first round pick or a young player in a reddish deal. And they had discussed variations of the trade with the Knicks. And they finally landed on what has been exchanged that we went through earlier. So we'll have to see how it goes. But that, that was it. That was really the driving force behind this move. Cam Reddish was done, wanted a bigger role on a on a good team that's in the playoff contention. And uh, Atlanta, after looking around, uh, felt that the Knicks were the, the partners to make that deal happen, and they got it done. So I think it ends up being a win for the Knicks, and we'll see how Atlanta's uh, season changes with it as well. One more quick, again, not a ton of NBA news of note this week, to be quite honest with you, besides stuff continuing to develop with COVID, which we've touched about, uh, touched on the last two episodes, not much more to look at there, at least for the time being. Just an interesting situation with uh, Detroit uh, and Denver as well. Apparently Denver was trying to trade Bull Bull, the son of Manute Bull, uh, to Detroit and apparently that deal has been voided. And uh, apparently the reason behind that is that Bull Bull failed his physical with the Detroit Pistons. So Denver trying to offload a young uh, up-and-coming player who has just been decimated with injuries in, in his first few seasons since leaving the University of Oregon. And Detroit was, you know, looking to, you know, I, I guess the best way to put it is that they were looking to take a chance on somebody that could be a cornerstone piece for the future of their franchise, along with somebody like a uh, like a Cade Cunningham. So, in the end, uh, Bull Bull stays in Denver for now. He's still only 22 years old himself, Bull Bull, but uh, let me take a quick look. He's barely played. I mean, he really just hasn't had enough time to play, and and make an impact. I, I get that's really the bottom line. And just looking over his his couple of seasons, I mean I mean this year alone he's barely played. You look at the last couple of weeks, he played 20 minutes on New Year's Day against Houston in a win, but other than that he hasn't played more than 6 minutes in the last 5 games. And in his career, he's only played 53 games in the better, or I should say the lesser parts of two seasons, essentially. And he's out at the moment with an injury, which is part of uh, why the, the, the Nuggets feel like now is the time to offload him. So, it's rough. It really is a, uh, a tough situation for Denver because now they have to totally reassess the situation and possibly have to be stuck with him. That's the bottom line. That's what's tricky uh, about the situation because he's 22 years old but you know seven foot two 220s his body's not responding well to big minutes in the nba or minutes at all frankly he's just so injury prone bull bull and uh we wait to see you know what ends up happening moving forward because right now uh when you look at denver this is a team that should be in the finals conversation they're still trying to figure it out but you know now having this situation pop up where you had a deal done, you were going to move on a guy that you didn't think was part of your future, and, and now you're stuck with him. So we'll see how Denver moves forward in that situation.
all in all, a good week for the Knicks on the court, a good week for the Knicks off the court, and we'll see how Cam Reddish responds to his new home in New York at MSG and with the Knicks. Of course, his first game will be against his former team in the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta, and we'll see how often he'll play in that one, and we'll talk about that and more next time. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at SJ7, or you can also go to postingandtoasting.com, Shock Shock Knicks podcast, in the comments. But obviously, you know, most of the time, better place to find me is at SJ7 on Twitter, or Sean St. Jacques on Clubhouse as well. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to the podcast. Hope you guys have a great week, and I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.